Hi, I'm Rich Wynn. And I'm Rebecca Nixon. And this is the PropTech Growth Podcast. Every episode, we interview an expert in the PropTech startup space, gathering their advice and expertise to help you run a successful PropTech business. I'm the portable PropTech CMO, and I help PropTech startups build and scale their commercial growth strategy. I'm Rich from Richwind Consultancy. I specialise in operations, sales and process, helping fintechs and PropTech companies to grow. So I'm going to welcome Rob Halston to the PropTech Growth Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm wondering if you can start off with just a little bit of background about yourself and yeah, why you're chatting here with us today. Sure. Okay. Well, I I started my legal career uh, way back in 1974 as a 16-year-old office boy in a law firm in Bristol. I worked there for 18 months, didn't do much real law, obviously, deliveries, etc. I left and then went into menswear for a year, which I really enjoyed. The reason I mentioned that is it taught me how to sell and not many conveyances know how to sell themselves or their service. So I did 12 months in menswear, which I really loved on a Saturday when it was busy, but during the week it was deadly, stock taking, window dressing. And when you're dressing a naked dummy in a window as an 18 year old boy, it's not good for your street cred. So I decided to, whatever street cred I had, of course, <laughs> so I decided to leave. I went back into the legal profession. I did 13 years with a firm in, in Bristol doing conveyancing. Then I moved to Exeter and carried on my conveyancing career down in the southwest until about 2005. In 2005, the Housing Act 2004 came in, which introduced home information packs to, to the country. I was a great believer in, in the packs, not the packs that the Act prescribed because they were faulty, but the fact that sellers should be providing upfront information and providing a pack when they put their property on the market. So I created an action group called HIPAC, Home Information Pack Action Group, not very original, and had a small article in the Law Society Gazette. Uh, about 100 firms contacted me and I said, okay, membership fees, 30, 40, 50 pounds a month. Within a few months, I was earning more from that than I was from doing my conveyancing. And I thought, oh, I'd better start providing these people with some real support now because I hadn't really gone too far into the depth of the Housing Act. So I gave up my job, started going up and down to the what was then the Deputy Prime Minister's office, immersed myself in, in the legislation. And I, I wanted to try and create an exchange ready pack by adding more documents to the pack than were prescribed by the government. I was contacted by OEA Straker, big legal stationers, £160 million turnover company. They asked me up to London to explain what it was I was trying to do with, with HIPS. Bit of a Dragon's Den moment, six of them, one of me. After a few months, they said, okay, we like, what you, we like your concept, we like your idea. Let's set up a business together. You're now the CEO, go and rent a flat. You've got a company car, there's your office. You've got a board of directors, off we go. So I got in my car, drove back down to Devon, stopped off in Exeter, went into Waterstones and bought a book what a CEO does, because I had absolutely no idea what a CEO did. Actually, I should have got it off the shelf. It's still up there now. And we started producing packs for two or three years until they scrapped hips. It was going well. We knew the government was eventually going to scrap them. In my opinion, they should have suspended them, looked at what was going right, looked at what was going wrong and changed them. We made our 12 staff redundant. OEA made myself and my wife redundant. And it was back to Devon with, with my tail between my legs. I didn't want to go back into conveyancing. I think most people who escape conveyancing rarely go back, particularly at the moment. So I set up the BOLD group. BOLD was supposed to stand or does stand for a bundle of legal documents. 
because I still want to produce an exchange ready pack or I want somebody else to do it if possible. It was very difficult to grow a membership again. This was in the height of the recession. It was an awful time for me and my wife, Robin Peter to pay for. I stuck with it. Now we're at a level where we have 700 member firms, all different shapes and sizes, all do conveyancing. They pay an annual subscription and I update them on anything and everything that's going on in the property market. In fact, they call me usually their, their ears, their eyes, and sometimes their voice. And it's a, it's a fantastic community and, and it's growing all the time. The other, I send out a weekly bulletin to them, but the jewel in our crown is now the fact that we have an online forum and there's over a thousand registered conveyancing users on there. They post questions all day. They answer questions all day. And it's just a brilliant forum and the numbers are growing. We've got SDLT experts, we've got land registry people who, who partake, compliance experts. It's a 24 seven beast that never stops. In fact, I've got a bit of a tiger by the tail, but I just about have it under control. So that's where I am at the moment. It's amazing. Uh, it sounds like you've had a really interesting journey to get where you are today. And that's, that's um, the pre-watershed pre version. <laughs> well, listen, you know, we're very uh, relaxed here on the podcast. So if there's anything you want to say, you can just go ahead and say it. We do have a language warning. So, you know, say whatever you oh, like. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> can't offend me I'm a Queenslander it's not possible so I'd love to hear a bit more about technology and conveyancing because we've had a lot of discussions on the podcast with people who are in different ways connected to the conveyancing process everyone seems to agree that there are the lack of a kinder expression shed loads of issues and there are so many people who are looking to technology to try and address uh, those issues in conveyancing. And I'd really love to hear your view on tech in conveyancing as it stands today. Okay, uh, before I started, I probably should have explained to the viewer it. I am working from um, the old Signalman's Railway Box on Trophy Railway Station. And yes, that is a train. Um, in fact, <laughs> it's, the, uh, it's the 215 Paddington. And that is a budgie there, but I won't go into why I've got a budgie in the office. <laughs> anyway, going back to, to tech, well, I left before tech really, really took hold, I think, back in, as I say, 2004, 2005. So I'm a little bit of a dinosaur myself when it comes to tech. I think what I do know is with a wide range of firms like I've got, you know, as I said, about 700, I think most of those are tech savvy and employ the, the latest tech that they can get. But you've got to remember that there are close to 4,000 conveyancing firms out there. Excuse me, and I, I reckon about 3,000 of them are probably not tech savvy. Lots still don't have a CRM system, let alone any other kind of technology. So this is why they call it a cottage industry. You've got the, the top ones who are modern and efficient. I'm not saying the other ones are not efficient, but they're in a, efficient in a, in a different way, perhaps. And I think we need to drag what we call the long tail of firms into the 21st century and get them using technology more, you know, such as digital signatures, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's a difficult one. And, and of course, different firms use different tech. It doesn't all, it's, um, you know, go together well, some of the tech solutions, unfortunately. Mm. And there are new tech solutions coming out every, every day of the week. There's always a new game changer, but of course, very few appear to be, in fact, they're not yet a game changer. Maybe one day there will be a game changer. Mm, very interesting. Yeah, I think the passion that PropTech founders have for their creations, their babies, their businesses, 
is to be admired it's it's remarkable and they need that passion and that dedication but it can sometimes be a little bit blinding because everybody does think that they've got the game changer that's going to fix everything or at least fix one aspect of the process to the point where they're going to be you know in the history books as it were as having changed how it all works but very yeah. rarely does that actually happen we have got some new companies out there and i'm not picking anybody because they're favorites but they they sort of come from your neck of the woods so we've got leap and infotrack and they've made big inroads in the last three four five years and people are using their technology along with other companies as well so it, it is happening it is beginning to, to change and improve but it's a very very slow process well it has to be because so much of the process is is still so manual and requires so much human intervention. There's only so much that tech can do to change it, but hopefully we're making some progress. Um, can you tell me a bit about your 25 point list on how to fix conveyancing? Yeah, okay, well, first of all, it's not actually my list. It's a list that came from my members. So I, I emailed them and said, look, what are the biggest problems that you're facing today? And mm -hmm. I think it says in a list of about 30, 35. So I picked the top 25 and put them in a document and put them out on social media, et cetera. And it got some coverage. I've actually put together my top 10 about half an hour ago. So I think I can talk you through my top 10, if that's okay. I'm just yes, gonna please. have a quick look at the document. So I'm still looking at the screen, but just to remind myself what my top 10 are. That's the, fine. First, the first one is very of the moment, and it's to provide clear guidance as soon as possible on how conveyancers should deal with the Building Safety Act. Now, this is a, a relatively new Safety Act um, 2022. This is a relatively new issue, probably uh, started at the beginning of this year. It's, it's a huge problem. Law firms don't know what to do, how to act, who to act for. Um, some some won't act on leasehold properties at all some won't act on leasehold properties when they're five stories or 11 meters high some won't act where there's uh, certain lenders involved it just goes on and on and some will act but they will increase their fees substantially sometimes mm -hmm. by a thousand pounds or more and i think there's probably about 50 maybe 60 percent of firms out there at the moment who are not acting on most leasehold transactions if that's not addressed soon there will be longer conveyancing times they're long enough at the moment because there's usually one leasehold transaction in, in every chain or, or at least in every other chain and of course the chain only goes as fast as any leasehold transaction so we could see a real excuse me backlog of um transactions in the next three to six months if it's not addressed there are a number of trainers out there providing courses on on the building safety app unfortunately they're not yet singing from the same hymn sheet so that's confusing for for the uh, delegates to go to the courses. And I know that groups like the Home Buying and Selling Group and the Royal Society are looking at this and possibly making representations to the government. But I think that will take a long time and it might even need a slight change in legislation to put this right. It's a massive issue. So when I put it on the list, I would say it probably was number one, but now it's, it's number one in flashing bright red neon lights. It's, it's massive. In fact, the biggest thing I think to hit conveyancing in my nearly 50 year career, and somebody called it recently a car crash piece of legislation. So needs addressing. But there are other wow. issues. Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. Let's go to number two then. OK, well, if we can put that to one side, although this follows on quite nicely, because number two on my list is a unification of instructions and requirements from all lenders. 
So as all conveyances will know, there's the UK uh, Finance Lenders Handbook, part one, which is standard, then there's part two, which the lenders put their own requirements in. And that's a big problem, particularly with the Building Safety Act with a couple of lenders, as I touched on. But when they change the their part twos, they don't really tell the conveyancing profession, they don't publicize it anywhere, and they change them differently. You know, one might change one thing one day, one might change something else the next day. It's a, it's a minefield for lawyers to keep keep hold on. They have to keep looking and checking every time they get a new mortgage offer from a lender, have they changed their part two? So that's, that's again, another big issue, but one that unfortunately has been with us for, for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. So I just carry on through the list. You stop me if you yeah, want. Yeah, 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 yeah. If I've got okay. questions, I'll interrupt you. <laughs> right, please, please, please. <laughs> Number three is to tackle the issues with regard to leasehold managing agents and the completion and return of LPE1. So, you know, basically getting the management packs from a managing agent when you're trying to sell a freehold property for a client, they take a long time, they cost a lot of money. Sometimes the client is held to ransom until they pay that money. Again, that's an issue that's been going on for a long time. And all of these issues cause delays and all of those delays reverberate up and down the chain. And I think transaction times now are as long as they've ever been you know i think on average five six months maybe what is bizarre is that when i started 70s and 80s we had no, no no internet as such no no email it was unregistered land we did personal completions and yet it was quicker less stressful and more efficient then than it is now so we well, i believe the standard used to be a month well um, yeah exactly. yeah and if it wasn't done in a month, it went back on the market. <laughs> yeah, so so-called progress, you know, we're in the 21st century um, and mm. we're probably doing early 19th century, 18th to 20th century conveyancing now, it's, it's ridiculous. But that's because of, of many of these problems. Um, and I often say now that when I was doing conveyancing, I probably had, you know, seven to 10 big plates to keep spinning at any one time. Conveyances now have, I think, 20, 25 or more plates to keep spinning. Maybe it's not quite so technical legally because land is registered and sometimes that is a little bit easier than unregistered. <clears throat> but the challenges they've got now are completely different to the ones that I had back in the 20th century. And they just keep growing. And there has to be a straw that breaks the camel's back. And in my opinion, it could be the, the Building Safety Act that is the straw that breaks the camel's back. And certainly has to be done about the amount of work that's being put on, on conveyances. So number number four, reduce the backlog at the land registry. As any conveyancer will know, you know, there's a massive backlog of registrations. Some registrations now apparently won't be completed until 2024-25. Conveyances get chased by lenders or the panels, the panel managers on, on a weekly, monthly, whatever it might be basis. It's a waste of everybody's time. So please, HMLR, you know, stop creating new products and services until you've got your backlog cleared. Uh, and that's required for pretty much every conveyancer in the land, I, I would say. And, I and every home buyer and seller as well, I'm, I'm well, sure. It's, it's unusual because if, you, if you're not selling your property, you won't know that your purchase hasn't been registered, so it won't bother you too much. If you remortgage, then there's a problem. And of course, if you do come to sell and it's not registered, that will be a problem. Excuse me, the land registry will expedite transactions, not always as quickly as they would like. But it's, it's the interfering with the conveyance on a weekly and daily basis. Is the registration back? Is No, it's not. It's at the land registry. They say the same old thing week in and week out. It's, it's a crazy situation. 
Um, I, I should have numbered these points because I'm losing my place now. But number five, I think, is reduce the number of interruptions con conveyances received throughout the working day. And I don't think really that's changed since I was doing conveyancing. I used to start very early. I still do actually, but I used to start about five in the morning. I get the post, I get the DX, open all the posts and DX. I would work on the, the post up until about nine o'clock. Then from nine till five, I probably would see clients, answer phone calls, talk to agents, talk to brokers. I rarely did any real legal work during the day. Five o'clock came, I'd do another two hours in the evening. And then on weekends, I'd probably do another five or 10 hours. It, it hasn't got any better than that. The inter again, 21st century, there must be some kind of prop tech out there that can keep the client and or the, the agent and the broker and everybody else updated and stop the interruptions that conveyances get all day. Um, maybe they would then have a normalish working day of you know 8.30 to 5.30 and, and not many hours on the weekend. And the problem we've got, because, because we had a very you know, busy period throughout the pandemic, a very, very busy period, and there weren't enough law firms to do the work basically, a lot of conveyances are now giving up. So some are just too stressed, their well-being isn't great, some are retiring early, some are going to new careers, et cetera, et cetera. We, we have a problem brewing there as well as I think, and that is too many going out the top end, not enough new young fresh blood coming at the bottom end. That could be a problem in, in another six or 12 months time as well. If, it, if the job doesn't become more, more attractive, appealing, and perhaps less, less slightly less stressful. Oh, particularly these days, people are looking for a healthy work-life balance. People are prioritising their mental and physical health more than ever. And everyone wants to be productive. Everyone wants to do a good job for their employer and be great at what they do. But you can't do that if you're tired and stressed all the time and nobody wants <coughs> to do that sort of job. It's just not going to be sustainable for more than a few years. Yeah, it is difficult for the client because, you know, you might be one in a chain of five or six or even more. And sometimes it feels like you're in a black hole and no one's telling you anything. So you want to know what's going on. I know that, you know, HMLR tried to produce a, a chain view many years ago and others have tried. We haven't yet got one that is used uh, you know, nationwide. But I think a good chain view would be good as well that the client can look at, the agent can look at, the broker can look at. Maybe the lawyers need to update it or not. We perhaps should revisit that or publicize mm. the ones that are out there a little bit more than they are being used. So they're used more often than they are, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and then the next one, agents and conveyances to provide more information up front, and I link two together here, and get conveyances involved earlier in the process. So really we're going back to my, my uh, hot topic or my favorite topic, and that is information up front. I, I, I thought it back in 2004 or five, I, I still think that's, one way forward it's not a silver bullet there are no silver bullets unfortunately but my view is if, if a seller instructs their conveyancer when they market the property so if they instructed me and said look rob i'm selling a property i'll put it on the market i said great i'll, I'll say great i'll open the file i get the aml done the id checks done <coughs> excuse me i get a copy of the deeds from the land registry i probably get them to complete a questionnaire i might go even further than that i might have a quick look at the title to see if there's any problems that need addressing you could even carry out searches and try and pass them on to the, the buyer solicitor. Conveyance, I know there's issues with that, with that but there are ways around it. And if, you, if you've got all that information sitting on a, a shelf ready, when the buyer comes along, you just take the pack off the shelf. It's not on a shelf, obviously, anymore. 
and you send it out to, to the buyer's conveyance zone, you've saved two or three weeks. And the other thing I think is from a conveyance's point of view, I would rather be build, building that pack and addressing those problems before the chain goes live because I haven't got the world and his wife chasing me. No one's worried about a transaction that hasn't started. So I can get all that ready, put it on the shelf, send it out. Hopefully 80, 90% of the questions are solved. My life as a conveyance will be a lot easier. The transaction will be a lot faster. What's not to like? But mm -hmm. lots and lots of conveyances don't like it. I don't really understand why. Maybe they're a bit averse to change, which I understand. But I think that's what's going to happen in the future. We've now got, excuse me, trading standards um, introducing new material information. So when when somebody puts a property on the market, the the agent or the companies like Right Move and Super will have to put information on the on the site, explaining what the broadband capacity is like, mobile signals, and even goes deeper than that. You'll have easements on there and covenants, and I think those easements and covenants, if they're put on the on display early on, will need explaining because some people might walk away and think, I do want to put a white van on the drive, but I can't. That might not be an enforceable covenant. So let's get both sets of lawyers involved in the transaction earlier on. I think it's coming. I hope it's coming before I drop off my perch, excuse the budgie pun, but I would love to see it happen. That sounds great. I think from, from the conversations that we've been having on the podcast with various people involved in the conveyancing process, there is definitely a unified theme around more information up front. There is definitely resistance to change on that front. You've spoken a bit about people who currently work in conveyancing and their workload and stress level. Change management within that environment is going to be difficult, even if there is a desire to embrace the change. So that in and of itself is gonna be a challenge. On the buyer, sorry, on the seller side and the agent side, we've talked to people about the reluctance there being a fear around um, less interest in properties that have upfront information, which of course is a pretty unhealthily <laughs> founded fear given that you're basing your hope on a property selling around a lack of information for the customer and hoping that they'll just fall in love with the house and then they find out all the the truth all of the problems with the building and just oh well go ahead with it anyway which often ends up causing problems further down the line yeah i mean there are some definite genuine barriers to information up front that we need to overcome and one is the agent needs to explain to the seller why they should have a, a pack put together someone's going to charge for that pack so you have to look at uh, addressing who pays for it and when and how much it is but all these barriers can be, be overcome if there's a willingness uh, from all parties and at the moment there isn't a willingness unfortunately from all parties i think i hope it will come if it doesn't i can't see transaction times improving any anytime soon unfortunately um point so well made. sorry point well made yeah thank you thank you i think the next one on my list is change sheets to be provided by presumably estate agents so you're in a chain of eight nine ten uh, you don't know who else is in the chain where they are I, I i was involved in a chain many many years ago it was very long about 13 14 long and i was at the top selling a probate property it was going nowhere fast i was trying to chase down the chain to find out what the holder 
hold up was couldn't get any answers from anybody so i eventually chased right the way down to the bottom of the chain it took me about two weeks only to find i'm at the bottom acting for a first-time buyer who's waiting for their mortgage offer which is fair enough at least i knew what was causing the delay what i didn't know was it was my client causing the delay so if we have that information it would be useful i think it's also useful to know which law firms are involved in the transaction and where because some are quicker than others and if you spot them and if you spot them you might know if it, that could be where the blockage might be uh, as a mm -hmm. transaction proceeds so please please agents change sheets why not a new one making make owning a logbook uh, a property logbook compulsory so there are some logbook companies out there now you've got the residential logbook association which recently been formed so basically at the end of your transaction, all of the documents your lawyer's got and other documents go, go into a logbook. That logbook is added to whilst you're living at the property with new planning permissions and guarantees, et cetera. When you put your property on the market in the future, you, you get the logbook out, you produce it, and it, I guess it becomes some kind of seller's pack already formed. You just put some additional documents with it that are, are, are relevant, time relevant, copy deeds, et cetera, and you've got a pack ready, ready to go. So, you know, you top and tail it with information up front and property logbooks at the end, and you are really, really getting somewhere, in my opinion. I completely agree. Uh, we actually had a guest on the podcast who compared it to owning a car. If you go to buy a car, you get a copy of the logbook, you know when it's been serviced, you know who's owned it, and if it's been in any accidents. When you go to buy a house, no information and you have to go digging around for it. And the seller has to dig around. I mean, we bought this house from somebody who lived in it for a quarter of a century and her husband had dealt with all of the paperwork to do with the house and he passed away. So she had to go through all of his files and try and find when was the boiler replaced and when was that bit of foundation fixed or that wall moved. And it was just an absolute nightmare. She couldn't find any of this information, which made it very difficult for us to, to buy the property. We ended up doing it anyway. But I think for a lot of people on both sides of the transaction, it's such a painful process. Even if you're not selling a house, let's say that you're just doing the general upkeep and maintenance of your largest asset financially, you really should have all of that information recorded somewhere for your own records, even if you never sell the house, let alone if you yeah. are going to. Well, you know, famously, we always used to keep all our papers like that in a shoebox in the loft. But of course, we didn't put the papers in there when we needed to. We put one in a drawer somewhere else, one somewhere else. And like you say, you couldn't find them. And again, even in the 20, 21st century, I think a lot of people that maybe not put them in a shoebox, but do something similar. So yeah, property logbooks, please, all the way. Right. Um, another nice improvement or good improvement would be the way uh, completions take place normally on a Friday, not always. Um, you know, again, you've got a chain of five, six, seven, eight. So uh, lawyer A at the bottom sends off the money, 10, 11 o'clock. It doesn't get to lawyer five or six or F or G at the top until you know, four or five, six in the afternoon. So people are waiting in vans. Sometimes it doesn't complete at the top of the chain. That, that's a ridiculous situation to be in again in the 21st century. You know, we should be able to press a button so that completion takes place at say 12, one or two o'clock throughout the chain. And everybody packs their van up in the morning, starts leaving their house at one o'clock, gets to the new house at two o'clock and moves in in the afternoon and then gets the champagne out in the evening 
and as a British happy. People are looking into solutions, the Bank of England's looking at it, I believe, and companies like Pexter are looking into things like that. It will come, but not soon enough, unfortunately. Mm. Have you ever been Gosh. in that same situation? You said luckily no we were first time buyers and the seller was moving in with a family member so we had no ch no chain in either direction so we were able to turn the whole thing around in a few months which even just sounds ridiculous because it should have taken a day really in terms of like what actually needed to be done but our neighbors who lived down the road it took them a year and a half to go through that process yeah, it, it is a nightmare. And, you know, if you've got young kids and it's raining and you're stuck in a van or stuck in a car, it's an absolute nightmare. It takes away the enjoyment that you sh should be feeling on that day and over the weekend. And people don't move partly because of those bad experiences. So the average time used to be people would move on, I think, on average every seven years. It's now mm -hmm. every 20 years. That's not the only reason why. There's many reasons why, but it could be one of the reasons why. So. Yeah, let's get the money transferred at the same time on completion date, please, please. Yeah, we and intentionally then... bought this exact property because we thought, dear God, we never, ever, ever want to move again. We, it's so stressful. It's such a nightmare. Just the moving, let alone the conveyancing. And we were like, we're only going to do this once and then that's it. <laughs> it is a difficult um, process. It, um, taking the legal part out of it, like you say, the physical aspects of it is very difficult as well. Um, what you do want is, is a completely smooth legal process. That would help. Yes. And yes, it would help a lot. And if not a quicker transaction, I think earlier certainty. So getting an earlier exchange of contracts, even if you don't want to move for another month or so, that's fine. Once you've got certainty, you can't be presumptive and you can't be presumptive. Yeah, absolutely. And then my number 10 out of the list of 25 is uh, quite a controversial one, really. And again, they're not my, all mine anyway, but ban completely or limit the amount allowed to be paid by way of referral fee from a conveyancer to an estate agent. Now, this is a very hot topic, hot topic and it does divide the, the legal community. Lots of firms pay referral fees. They, sorry, they say instead of marketing their services, they just pay the, the agent. Uh, which is fine in some cases. Others call it a bribe. I, When I was working back in the 70s and 80s, I knew lawyers, and it wasn't me, who would actually hand over bags of cash to estate agents once a month for the five or six transactions that have been introduced to them. And my worry is now, if it's banned completely, if referral fees are banned completely, and I don't think they will be, it will go underground again. It might not be bags of cash, but there will be something going on behind the scenes uh, is not transparent. At the moment, referral fees are supposed to be transparent. The agent's supposed to tell the clients, uh, the buyer and seller, and of course, the, the conveyance of the solicitor is supposed to do that. I, I, I think the only reasonable workable solution is to maybe have a cap on the amount of referral fee that is paid to an estate agent or an accuser of say, you know, five or 10 or 15% of the conveyancing fee because sometimes you'll quote a conveyancing fee of say eight, nine, a thousand, hundred, a thousand pounds, and a referral fee could be three, four, five hundred pounds. And the client doesn't always know that. So at the end of the day, they're getting a 500 pound service having paid a 1,000 pound fee, and that doesn't seem right. So my solution, whether it's workable or not, but then anybody who's listening in power, just put a cap on the referral fee. 
then you can pay it if you want to. If you don't want to, you don't have to. But it won't go underground again. So that is my it's a bit of a miserable top ten, but that's my that's my top ten. I think that's great though. You're calling for transparency on every side of the equation and transparency equals speed. <laughs> so we've seen that with open banking, it's just time for the property industry to catch up, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, that's really, really cool. It's got me thinking. <laughs> it's really interesting. Okay, great. I know that you wouldn't position yourself as a prop tech expert. That's one of the reasons we want to have you on the show, because it's important to not just exist in our own little bubble of everyone doing prop tech with each other. We, we need to learn from people who are experts in closely related fields. And I would love to hear a bit about your take on whether you feel prop tech is currently a help or a hindrance when it comes to getting upfront information, if you're seeing anything emerge that you think is significant, or, but if you have no comment, that's also fine too. Well, I think, no, there are a few companies um, who are trying to uh, create an upfront information system, uh, uh, TM with Mio, I think InfoTrack are doing something similar, and there are other companies out there, uh, maybe Bayer and a few others, I should know them all, but I can't think of them on the top of my head. So they are trying to do something, and part of this is on the back of the new material information changes that are coming. I think more people will be coming to the market with upfront information prop tech solutions. So, it, I mean, you don't need one to provide upfront information. If your client instructs you, you just get a pack together. PropTech might help and put the pack in a nice format and get the information together, source quick, quicker, cheaper possibly. And I know the home buying and selling group are working on this. They're very, very keen on you know upfront information, and they've got their their pledge and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So, in fact, I, I chaired a meeting on upfront information about two weeks ago when we had National Conveyancing Week, which I which I jumped up and others helped me put together. It was a good two-hour debate where I think some of the issues were tackled and then hopefully answered about upfront information. So if anybody wants to see that, that that session, they can get that via, well, if they email me, rh at boldgroup.co.uk, I'll send them a link to that upfront information discussion. But again, I think I think it's coming, but it's like pushing jelly uphill at the moment. <laughs> That's a great analogy and great visual. Yeah, so people can email you, you've shared your email address, if you want to, we can put a link in the show notes. But if you would prefer people email you so that you have their contact details, that's also fine as well, whichever works for you. I don't mind. I'll, I'll find the link and I'll send it to you. you. You can do both. That'd be great. Yeah. Great. Great. So our listeners can find the link in their show notes and yeah, get in touch with Rob for more information on that conversation. Question. Can the Law Society do more to help the property industry and the conveyancing process? Well, I think if you, if you ask a number of solicitors, they would say yes. They do feel a little bit left out by the law society, forgotten you know, legal activity to a degree. I know they do do things behind the scenes. They're not always that vocal about it, and perhaps they're not always that quick about it. They have procedures to go to, go through rather. They've got the conveyance and quality scheme, which which works, does work it as well as it should do. It should be policed a bit more and enforced a bit more, but it's a great start. Yes, they should be doing more, I think, but I know that they are trying to do more behind the scenes. So 
I wouldn't castigate them completely. No, it's a complicated thing for them. I know two or three, sorry, two or three people within the organisation who really do work hard to try and get these things out in front of their, their conveyancing community. I really, really appreciate your time today. It's been very insightful. And yeah, there's definitely uh, a number of unified voices that are coming through with you on, on the issues that need to be addressed in conveyancing. Very encouraging and challenging. Well, I, I, if an old dinosaur like me can say these things, hopefully the, the young bucks and buckesses out there will pick up the, the baton and run with them and improve things for everybody. That's great. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for joining us on the PropTech Growth Podcast. To learn more, you can find us on LinkedIn or email proptechpodcast at icloud.com. See you next time.